0: So the next thing I'm excited to do is introduce my wife. So come on up. Um, this is my wife, Mandy, and she is awesome. And um, you guys get a reprieve from hearing me talk this week. What are you doing? And, uh, and Mandy's going to teach. So um, yeah, I'm going to get you a stand. So I have lots of amazing things to say about her. She's awesome, and she's going to do a really good job. So that's it. <laughs> well, guys, it really is just so special to be here um, I know that Christian um, invests so much in this church, and he's an amazing husband and an amazing father. I can truly say that. He's just a man of character, and so I'm just blessed to have him. Is that all you told me to say? Is that what you told me Okay. I think I got through it. <laughs> I also, and <laughs> really honestly, I just also want to just honor my dad today, and he's going to be mad at me that I'm saying this, but my sisters also are here and their families, and my dad's an incredible guy, and um, he's done over and above what most dads have to do, and he's done it with a a loving and generous heart, and so I'm just thankful for my dad, so, and he actually did pay me $100 to say that, so catch you later, dad. (laughs) But I actually um, wanted to let you in, for those of you, some of you know me really well, and some of you don't, you're just getting to know me. Um, brace yourselves. <laughs> um, so I have two different slides here that I'm going to show you, and the first one kind of describes how I felt when I heard that I was going to be teaching. Alleluia. 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 That, that's really how I felt. <laughs> I was like, and this is the next slide of kind of how I've been feeling uh, this whole week. This is <laughs> it's pretty much me. So, you know, I go from being completely excited and like, yes, this is what I'm made to do, to I'm going to have a panic attack and fall over, and this, you know. So just know that going in. I mean, if I let you in any deeper, it requires professional help. So this is just a glimpse to my mind. So, uh, you don't want to dive any further into this. But, um, so, but I was talking today about being an overcomer as a hero. That is my topic today. So I'm just going to invite you guys to this space and listen to my journey in becoming an overcomer and what that means in my life and what I think it could mean and should mean in your lives. And so I think the one thing for me, well, let's be honest, I've got lots of good qualities, but... The thing that I love most about myself is um, how stubborn I am. And I know that that is an awesome characteristic. And I know that my family really appreciates it. And I know that growing up, my parents appreciated it. I know Christian loves me more for it. You know, it's just great. I'm so, I'm so good at being stubborn. But I truly, truly am really a very determined or driven person. Um, I, I'm not like... Um, into, like, all the socially acceptable, like, names that everybody has to have now. And I I don't know when I hit my 40s if I was just like, whatever, I can't keep anymore. Like, you know, I've gotta, I'm not stubborn anymore. Like, I'm supposed to be, like, driven or whatever. And I'm just like, no, I'm just stubborn. That's just, let's just call it out, right? And so I feel like, though, there are, you know, parents out there who... Just can't identify those types of things in their own kids, right? And so they just like, you see this kid freaking out or being completely stubborn, and they're just like, oh, Jimmy's just, um, he's very driven, individual, and we're trying to foster that in him and let him develop. Yeah, Jimmy's an idiot. Okay? You gotta get that kid under control. He is stubborn. I know what stubborn is, and that is stubborn. Okay, so it's okay, I'm allowed to say call myself stubborn, I'm embracing it, I'm owning it, but everybody sitting here has that thing about you that you know. Probably, most likely, that thing about you that drives you, or that thing about you that is your gift, is probably the thing that gets in the way a lot. My stubbornness has gotten in the way of me a lot, but it's also helped me to accomplish some really awesome things in my life. It's helped to drive me. So each of you has something inside of you that drives you, that makes you who you are. And the verse I want to use today is from Romans 12, 7 through 8. If it is serving, then serve. That's pretty easy, right? Right? If that's your gift, just kind of straightforward, right? Right? If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. This is not rocket science, okay? If it's giving, then give generously. To lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so kind of feel like Jesus agrees with me about the whole Jimmy thing, you know, about like, just let's just call it what it is. He's not making it complicated here, right? He's not trying to say... Like, let's not sugarcoat any of this. If this is your gift, if this is your calling, if it's to persevere or be driven or to serve, then do it. But to do it, you actually, and I know this is going to be completely rock your world, to do it, you actually have to choose to do it, right? So there can't be this thing where you're just like, I just don't know. I know this is in me and I know I want to do this, but... I don't know. Maybe it'll happen someday. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen someday. (laughs) You have to make a choice, right? I have to make a choice. We all have choices to make. And the person who I feel um, in the Bible that I wanted to open up his story a little bit more for all of us, and I love his story, is Joseph. And it's found in Genesis 37. And I'm going to just kind of walk through his story pretty quickly this morning. And I'm going to just invite you to let you see how God got him through. And when we see Joseph here, he starts out on the scene. He is 17 years old. He is favored most by his father, Jacob. He's one of 12 sons. And that obviously has caused a huge rift, okay? It's not like he just became the favorite son. He's been favored his entire life. And so this has been a problem for a really long time. But Jacob keeps fostering that and he does so much that he actually gives him a special coat, which I'm sure many of you remember and know of. It's the coat of many colors. All right? Now, what makes this coat so special is that not just that he gave him a coat that was pretty, this coat symboled and made him stand out. It was meant for royalty. So everybody had a coat, but it was the shepherd's coats that they had. They had the short sleeved, put to the knees, pretty much plain in color. But Joseph's was long sleeve, full of color, down to his ankles, and made him stand out even more. So it's like, you know, on Christmas morning, you're getting, you know, I don't know, what are they called, like Tonka trucks or something, or matchbox cars, and then, like, your sibling actually gets, like, a real Ferrari or something? This is, like, the difference here, okay? He's making it, he's making that call of saying, I love, this is the son that I love, And uh, Joseph knows it, too. And he is just, you know, I mean, whether it's his fault a little bit or mostly his dad's fault, he has decided to dive into this, and he's fine with it. He flaunts it all around with his brothers, and he makes it worse. And on top of everything, while they're all out to pasture one day, taking care of all the flocks, Joseph comes back, and he's like, Dad, guess what the boys did? So he's a tattletale, you know? No one likes a tattletale. I am not a tattletale. I can, I will back you up like no one's business. I will never tell on you. So I'm, I'm a good friend to have because I'm not, I, I won't sell you out. So you need a friend, you, you come to me. <laughs> so, but that's so annoying. Tattletales are so annoying, you know? And so here he is now telling on his brothers, making the rift even further. And then one day he's like, oh, guess what? I had a dream. In fact, Joseph has two dreams. And he comes out very arrogantly and very pridefully and tells everybody. These dreams, basically, in summary, are that his brothers and his father will bow down to him. And they will, he will be in charge and they will be submissive to him. And, of course, this is not what you want to hear your siblings say, who you cannot stand, right? And so they create this. He creates this even deeper, And so I just want you to get a little bit of picture about what's happening here before what the brothers do. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that while they're out tending the flock, they actually see Joseph coming to them. And oh, right, Jacob does. He tells them, hey, go check on your brothers again. Not a good idea not a good idea. Way to drive that even deeper, right? And he's like, oh, sure. I'll go find out what they're doing. No problem. And so he's, you know, on his way and his brothers see him and they're like, oh, here comes the dreamer. You know, here comes, oh, he's so, they are filled with so much hatred at this point and so much malice for him that they plot to kill him as he's coming towards them. And, you know, for you and I, like, that's, probably very distant from anything we can comprehend, you know, taking someone's life just for being jealous. But this had been 17 years of pain and hurt. And some of them just wanted it to be done with, you know. And so there's a couple of them that think that's a bad idea, especially one, and they plead for his life. And they're like, oh, fine. So he's coming. They grab him. They tear his coat from him, his coat of many colors, and they throw him into a cistern. Now, a cistern is built usually out of limestone, and it's a very, very deep, kind of like a well. It's used to store water. And um, I have a picture of one because I'm a really visual person. So this um, picture brings me panic inside, like on a deep level, because I'm a claustrophobic person. And so this terrifies me to think that somebody was thrown in here and stuck in here. See, I'm so claustrophobic that, um, okay, this story is very embarrassing, but I'm going to share it anyway because that's how I roll. But so I was, how should we put this, fat, and I was pregnant with Elliot and and I was around nine months pregnant. And we went to this place called Boomers, and it's like this, you know, has tunnels and slides and all that spider net and everything. Well, Samuel did not lack in the area of energy. So the kid takes off, and he goes down this slide, and I'm like, oh, I got him. Yeah, I I mean, honestly, guys, after 80 pounds, I would stop counting how much weight I had gained. So, you know, I wasn't a fast mover. So I... I get up the stairs, I go down the slide, and I mean, Samuel's, he's off, he's through the little tunnel, and I'm down there, and then I realize um, I can't fit through that tunnel to chase him, so I'm starting to panic, (laughs) and I look over, and Christian's like, you know, in all the netting, and he's like, where'd he go? And I was like, he went through the tunnel, I can't fit, And, and then I realized, like, there's no way out, like... That is my way out. The tunnel was my way out of there. And I'm like, I go over to the tunnel and I'm like, maybe I can't fit. And I get on my hands and knees and I'm like, oh no, I really can't fit. And even if I could fit, I look down and there's like one of those sandwich sliders where you have to like slide your body through those rollers, you know, and I'm like, well, that's not gonna work, right? And so like I'm beyond panic. And so I start thinking this is a really good idea. I have to get out of here, right? Because again I'm claustrophobic. So I start scaling the spider netting that's on the side because that's a good idea, you know, and I'm scaling it and I'm climbing and I'm climbing. <laughs> Rebecca happened to be there, my sister, and she's like, get down. What are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. And I, like, I got to get out of here. She was like, They'll call somebody. They'll cut the net. I was like, hurry, then call somebody. Like, I'm in sheer panic. But I'm still climbing because that's a great idea. And then I, and then I start, that's not working so well because I'm so big. And then I start to climb up the slide, but, you know, that's not going to work. So I keep sliding down. And then I somehow shimmy myself on the side of the slide in the net when I'm climbing. And I somehow pull myself up to safety. And it was like... It was like, oh, all this relief. I was like, oh, I'm out of the pit. I, I made it. And they didn't have to cut the net. And I was like sweating, you know. And Samuel has no idea what's happened. And Christian's like, what? Went on? what's happening? I was like, I almost died. I'm so sorry. My life flashed before my eyes, you know. He's like, okay, yeah. So I'm claustrophobic. So being in that hole. Would make me feel like that. Now, translate that to life. Have there ever been times where you have literally felt trapped like that? Where whether it's in your job, in your relationship, seriously, have you ever felt like I am stuck? There is no way out. You look one way and you try to get out. Nope. And you look another way and try to get out. You try, oh, you cannot, you know, Mandy, I'm really trying. I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. Get me out of here. You know? But nothing and no one can save you. And it doesn't even matter, right? No one even cares. No one's even listening. It actually says in here that as soon as they throwed the throat, <laughs> as soon as they threw Joseph into the cistern, they actually sat down and ate a meal. Later it tells us that they actually heard him pleading and crying out for his life, but they did not listen to him. And so they are so calloused and so hurt. That they can just, they're just gonna have dinner and listen to their brother cry his heart out. You know, there I know in this room have been moments where there are people here who can say, I remember when my life changed like that. I can remember that situation, and from then on I was stuck. We see Joseph here. Everything has been taken from him. I can't even imagine how he felt betrayed and crying out and wanting just someone to save him. And then they see the merchants coming, and they're like, oh, let's sell. Him. We'll be rid of him this way. We won't kill him. We'll sell him to the merchants. So they sell Joseph to the merchants, and Joseph is now a slave. His journey was about 30 days until he arrived into Egypt. And most likely, along that route, he was, from that moment on, he was treated like a slave. So there was no more, you know, special dinners, special talks, special coats. He was a slave. When he got to Egypt, A man who was an official in the Pharaoh, who was the king, his name is Potiphar, and he purchased Joseph to be his servant in his home. And so now we see Joseph, and he's taken from the pit, now he's a slave, and now he's going to have to be a servant for the rest of his life. Joseph doesn't know the end game that God has. Joseph can't see What's going to happen? He can only see what's right in front of him. And this is what I love about Joseph is that he chooses. He chooses in this moment to say, I have no idea what's going to come my way. I have no idea what's ahead, but I'm going to choose to honor God and trust him with where I am and what I'm doing. And he does it so much that Potiphar actually sees Joseph and says, you can have actually all authority in my house. In fact, it says that Potiphar didn't worry about anything except for the food he ate. Joseph was given full charge of Potiphar's estate because of how well Joseph decided to say, I'm going to trust in you, God. I, you know, he could have very well have chosen in that time to just be like, I'm just going to serve just like everybody else here. But he didn't. He dug down deep and he's like, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to choose right now to serve to serve my God. And Potiphar, he says, you know, I can tell that this man, that God is upon him. That's pretty powerful. That in that moment, in that moment, Joseph chose God. I think that there are times when, you know, in my life when I've chosen stubbornness, and it hasn't turned out so great. And, Along, as I'm now older and, you know, much wiser and more beautiful, I, um, I've, uh, I've learned how to, in some situations, not be so stubborn that it becomes something in me that is negating what I'm trying to do, that's being, um, you know, that it's coming against me, that's working against me. I've learned how to say, you know what? I'm going to tackle that project. I'm going to tackle that that idea or whatever, and I go with it with my whole heart, and I go with it with a sense of stubbornness that actually is what gets me through it. But I can't see what's going to be on the other side. I have to learn, and I've had to learn how to rope that in and rein it in and use it. And it has taken me a very, very long time to do that. Now, I think that this is hilarious. There is a... um, one of the superhero movies that we have seen a lot is uh, Spider-Man. And so I have a video clip here of Peter Parker and he, this is when he knows he has superpowers and he's gonna learn to try to use them. So let's watch this. I love that clip because I think that that really just describes all of us, doesn't it? He's a superhero and he has zero idea like how to use his powers that are actually gonna be what helps him save tons of people. And that's what we have to do, right? The first thing all of us have to do is identify what we have that's special about us. Remember we read in the beginning in Romans about the talents that God has given to us. So what is it in you that defines you? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? How are you going to use it to overcome things in your life? How are you going to do it to choose every day? I got to get up, and I got to face this. I got to get up, and I got to handle that situation or that relationship, that person in my job. So it's the daily choice of choosing. And that's exactly what Joseph did, and it makes him so incredible is that he chooses every day. In fact, he chooses so much so to do this, as we said, that Potiphar has made him in charge of his entire household. Except for one stinky thing that happens is Potiphar's wife has been after Joseph for a while. She keeps trying to seduce him, um, and Joseph keeps refusing her. However, when they're alone at one point, she... Pursues him and he, it says he flees. And he does so, so quickly that she grabs his cloak and he is like out of there. You know, he's like, no way, I am fleeing from the scene. Well, to save her own face, she lies and says that Joseph was the one that pursued her and he, you know, she gets the story all messed up and she's lying. Well, because of her lies, Joseph ends up in prison. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's now worse again for the poor guy. You know, he's. Done his best, he's tried his hardest, he's flourished in the position God gave him, and he probably thinks, If this is the rest of my life, even though I can't go back to what I had, I can handle this, I can do this, right? I can serve this guy in his, in his, in his household, I can do that. God's blessed me where I am. It's not, not, it's not perfect, right? But, but I can do this. And then now, suddenly, in the blink of an eye, again, he's thrown into prison. But Because, this is the amazing part about him, this is why he is such an incredible overcomer, is that because he sees the situation and says, yes, this is horrible, but I am going to, again, choose to trust God that he's not going to leave me and that he will help me where I am. Even in prison, he's going to help me. And so um, they see that God is with him, and they see that whatever he does thrives, and so they put him in charge of a section of the prison, And lo and behold, after a little bit of time, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they offend the pharaoh, okay? And, you know, back then it's like off with their heads. You can just do whatever you want. So he sends them down to prison. Oh, but it's the side of the prison that Joseph is on. How incredible that God would, you know, allow that, right? That must, be, you know, that must be a mistake or a coincidence, I'm sure, right? Don't you feel like that sometimes? Well, here's Joseph, and he's here, and they both have dreams. How amazing again. That's incredible, right? And he sees that it, their dreams have pained them, and they've caused them a lot of grief. And he's like, can I help you? Like, what's going on? Things look bad. And they both say, well, we had dreams, and we're just really disturbed, and we just we can't get it out of our heads. And he's like, well, I, I can help you, um, you know, but dreams are the business of God. And so, what, what I see that's so poignant here is that Joseph has shifted his heart back from that 17 year old that we see who's so prideful and arrogant and I have a dream, you know, and let me tell you, you'll be bowing down to me. Now we see Joseph and he's standing there and he's saying, I, I can't help you, but my God can help you. Tell me your dreams. And so they tell them his dreams. And unfortunately, the baker's dream doesn't have a good ending. He says, within three days, you're going to be called out and, you know, off with your head. Sorry about your luck. And then the the cupbearer, he says, well, in three days, actually, the pharaoh is going to call you out, and you're going to be released from prison. You're going to be restored to your position. But remember me. I'm not supposed to be here. Remember me. Remember me. And so can you imagine, after three days— The cupbearer and the baker, they do. They're released. They go before Pharaoh. Can you imagine what Joseph must have felt in there? Yes, this is my chance. This is it. I told him to remember me. Surely he'll remember me. But he doesn't. And two years pass. That is a long time. Two years go on. I can only imagine that there's a glimmer of hope in that situation where you think, yes, I'm going to get out. I'm going to be released from this. I'll be restored. I'll get a chance to say my piece. Things will go well again. But it doesn't. And you know, I think that this I can really connect with that. Um, for those that for those of you who um, know Christian and I, you know that we've lost two children due to stillbirth. In um, almost 12 years ago, we lost our son, and then the year later, we lost our daughter Hope. And In that time, I was so anxious and so grief-stricken and so depressed that I could not sleep. And not for just a couple days, but like for an extended period of time. And um, I would get up at night, and I couldn't sleep, and so I would write. And I wasn't doing it at the time for anybody else, just for myself. Just all my feelings, all my emotions, everything. And in that time, I began to feel like... God tugging at my heart just saying, keep writing. Keep writing because I want you to write a book. And that was really daunting. I was like, okay, fine, I'll just keep writing. But it took me years to actually have the book before it was done and finished. I mean, I had to choose. I had to make a choice to say, you know what? And there's one of my drivenness or my stubbornness came in. It was like, I'm going to do this. I don't know why. And it's only a little tug at my heart. But And who would ever read, you know, my book? I mean, I'm not an author. I have only a high school education. There's nothing special about me, you know. I don't have a fancy job, you know. I mean, unless you call being Christian's wife a fancy job, then, yeah, I'm fancy. But i that's all I had. That's all I got going for me, you know. But it's God in me. It's not. It's not anything I did. And recently, Christian, um, and this is really super humbling for me. But recently, Christian was um, talking on the phone to somebody in Texas because you know he's like famous or whatever. And so he was like um, talking to this person um, on the phone in Texas for this regional thing and in the vineyard. And um, she said, you know, um, I actually didn't know. Who you were um, until recently, I actually knew your wife. I was like, yes. Back to the squirrel. But that, no, I I didn't. I was like, really? How's she know me? And Christian's like, she read your book and someone gave it to her and she has lost. And she said that she would, has had times in her life where she has just sat there reading your book and just cried because somebody out there. Knew how she felt. And I, that floored me. It completely floored me that a decade later, out of being me obedient and choosing, you know, to be stubborn, choosing to use my gift, choosing to overcome, it didn't take away anything. And yes, I would change it. But it didn't take away any of the sting to do any of it. But to hear that I could walk with somebody else. Through their awful experience and through their awful time, it's worth it to me. And I think that that's where we end up with Joseph, is here he is, he's chosen, he's tried to help, he sees a glimmer of hope, and that's taken away. And two years later, we see that Pharaoh has a dream. And isn't that amazing? Like, that God allows that to happen. So people can forget you, and you can forget to do things, but God doesn't forget, right? And so maybe the cupbearer forgot, but God's like, all right, I got this. It might have taken him two years to get to it, but Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has two dreams. They're so disturbing, and he calls all the uh, wise men and all the magicians in, come try to interpret my dreams. And he's still so disturbed, no. You know, and the cupbearer is like, "Oh, well... Not too long ago, there was this great guy, and um, he interpreted my dream. You should go get him, right? So he sends for Joseph, and in that moment, Joseph's life is changed. His obedience, his act of trust and choosing God. He comes before Pharaoh, and he says, you know, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh says, you know, You will now be second in charge of my entire kingdom. No one will be greater than you. And isn't that just like God? He wants to take you in this journey, and he wants you to choose to trust in him. He wants you to find out what that gift is and identify it in your life and to use it, right? And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, all the answers or things are going to be great. He was 17 when this story started, and by the time he goes to Pharaoh, he is 30 years old. That's a significant amount of time to keep choosing to trust in God. So where are you today in your journey with God? Can you trust him? Can you choose to step in and say, I don't know, and I can't see the whole picture, but you've put this in me, and I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to choose you today. So if you're in that place today and you think, you know what? Maybe I can start to choose. Yes, you can. Just wake up and make that daily choice. Don't sell yourself short. Don't let it be taken from you. Because one day it will all unfold and God will not leave you. I have a verse that I want to share and it is from Psalms 910. It says, for those who know your name who trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. He is going to be there for you, and your situation may not change, but if you choose him, your story will unfold, and your God will be with you. So I just want to pray for people right now. Father, we come before you, and we just humbly say, God, that We can do nothing on our own, that we really need your help, Jesus. So God, I pray that for people who are struggling here today, if they feel like they don't have trust, if they feel like they don't have faith, or they just don't even know what to do, God, that you would show them and begin to open the doors and say that you are with them, to keep choosing you because you will never forsake your children. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.